must be like the wolf pack, not like six pack. Teamwork. Yes. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another series and another episode of There's No I in Podcast, a podcast about teams. We are a podcast about being in teams. We're a podcast about leading teams. We are a podcast about getting the most out of your teams. Uh, My name is Mark Johnson. I am a performance maker and a performance teacher, and I am joined, as always, by my partner in pod, uh, sports coach and head of co-curricular and sport at our shared workplace, Sean Gallagher. Hello, Sean. Hello, Mark. How are you doing? (laughs) I'm really good. I'm really tired. I'm so tired. First week back in the physical building will do that to a man. Did you find it as well? Yeah, it's a different it's just that different tired that I think people who are working from home and have done for maybe the past year will definitely feel once they're back in their building if their companies force them back in. Yeah. Um I think yeah, it's a different type of tired. It was, a, it was definitely a physical tiredness. Like I was moving around a building constantly, which is a leap from being basically that comic book guy from the Simpsons for the last few months. Uh, (laughs) Yeah. I think more so though, there's the the mental side of, I think you mentioned kind of like rewiring your brain to talk to human beings face to face (laughs) and have a conversation. And secondly, which we're not doing right now, by the way, you and I are are still remote while we're doing this. We we are, we are. And, uh, and then secondly, I think the, the little micro situations that happen within your working day, which, tend to make you less efficient at maybe yes. your your job title your job role on a day-to-day yeah, basis there's a lot, a lot of input of, in yeah there's a lot of input coming in across across a work day which doesn't happen as much i feel online um and they're just more accessible i guess so people yeah. could, can knock on doors and people can you know set up meetings or just catch you in the in the corridors which has its positives yeah it was lovely it it's kind of but it's fun, also but yeah yeah it's it's it 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 wiped me out. And I don't know if, if you found this as well. I was also trying as best as I could to be kind of respectful of space and all of the, the distancing and uh, empathy that goes with trying to make sure that the workplace feels okay for everyone else. And, and that requires a level of attention that uh, we've not really had to give in the same way for the last few months. I'd forgotten what it felt no, like. Absolutely. Like we, we've not gone back to a bustling staff room um, and we shouldn't be going back to a bustling staff room, but that's where your connections can happen. And that's where it's one of the things that you've been missing, that kind of human interaction face to face. And, you know, some of the, the, the kind of chats and little conversations that happen in between your work day aren't necessarily happening uh, whilst you're working at home but then even when you're in a building and you're trying to stick to covid guidelines means that you shouldn't be gathering and things like that so it is a really really tough one and i think that when you know obviously we work in a school and we've been you know told by the government to go back to work other people haven't as yet uh, when that does happen i do think there's going to be a massive adjustment period for people um, and even if you're dying to get back into the office i think you're going to realize quite quickly that it's not just going to be a switch that turns back on immediately right. for you and that there will be, as I said, that adjustment period, in my opinion. Something that I have loved this week, though, and uh, unfortunately you've not had the luxury, uh, is I got to be back in a room with people making theatre. The students were back and we were able to start 
playing around in a physical space with stuff. And that kind of energizes and flips the theatre making into a whole new level. We're right at the beginning of a process. So the other thing that we're getting to do for the first time is to share with people the work when there's an audience in the room. And that's really exciting because for these guys, you do have to overcome this nervousness about performing for the first time in front of your colleagues or your your peers, uh, of putting out something that has the stamp of you on it, that is identifiably you, that you've decided is good enough to share or have been told you need to share, even if you don't believe it's good enough. But overcoming that first bit is a really different thing in the room. But you know me, I have, I have, a, I have a, a belief in the power of getting one out quickly, no matter how bad it is. No, absolutely. I can see, see it being a game changer uh, for you to be back in the room. And, you know, we, we use external facilities and they are open to us from tomorrow. Um, so I'll be back on a football pitch. Um, and I'm, I'm hoping that I'll be getting that juice uh, that you've kind of managed to get this week, uh, sort of from Monday. Do you onwards. think you'll hit the same thing though, where, where people um, are nervous about training, about, about how they're going to perform? So I think you need to obviously know your group. Um, and I think that with a specific group I have now, they'll just want to get back into it. Um, I have no plans on doing a structured session. I'm going to let them just play for that hour or so that they've not been able to for, for months yeah. uh, and let them run around and get a sweat on basically. Um, because I think that's massively what they need, uh, especially working with kind of, you know, sort of chances are they're out of condition. <laughs> they're definitely out of condition. Yeah. I don't think they'll be able to run around for an hour, but yeah, I'm not going to, I'm not going to impose too much on them tomorrow. Keep it fun. Uh, especially in our situation in the school, we're only here for a couple of sessions and then it's uh, Easter break, uh, which is, is, is a little bit frustrating um, in that sense. So yeah, fun for the next couple of weeks. And then, you know, something more structured after, after the Easter break. Um, and uh, yeah, it's just going to be great to, to have some, some people to work with, but just going on to that point, Mark, that you said around, you know, getting the first one out. We kind of mentioned that a little bit on the episode, don't we? Yeah, this one's fun. The guest we've got this week is Matt Wood. And he he has a, is a company that does sports events uh, amongst a whole heap of other things. It's a really exciting business. And he, tell, he, talks, he talks about it in the episode. But rather than focusing just on the sport, we actually got into the process of setting up a company, expanding a company, building a team from scratch which was which was ultimately really fascinating and his perspective on that that first and worst idea that I that I kind of promote like when he's talking about first event or first product or f- even first hire that idea of the decision making process or nervousness about the outcome stopping you from making a decision uh, meaning sometimes you've just got to throw out what you've got and, and see what happens once it's out in the world. Uh, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, people talk about perfectionism a lot and people see that as I'm a perfectionist, as if it's seen as a strong standpoint to have uh, or trait to have. Whereas what it probably really means is that you're just probably not doing a bunch of stuff because you're scared to. Yeah, that you might be limiting yourself or you're always living with a chip on your shoulder 
of not being not being good enough. That cannot be said for Matt, our guest this week. Uh, and so without any further ado, I think we should just jump in and listen to him talk about building his business, GW Active, and uh, the run through events that he's been running. This is Matt Wood. We are hugely excited to have joined us on the podcast today, uh, Matt Wood. Matt is the co-founder of GW Active and Run Through. Uh, hello, Matt. Thanks for joining us. No, uh, thank you very much for having me on. You are absolutely welcome. Uh, this is someone that, Sean, you've worked with before and you've wanted to get on for a while now. Absolutely, yes. Well, we've used Run Through uh, for some school events uh, and really, really enjoyed the company and the organisation and how they uh you know ran their ship so to speak uh and always enjoyed the events uh and i followed matt uh on social media for a while as well love the stuff that he puts out there lots of positivity um and and lots of great tips and tricks for runners and just exercise in general so real pleasure to have you on matt thank you for doing this um matt i gave you the, the briefest of introductions if you wouldn't mind uh telling everyone a little bit more about uh what it is you do with gw active and run through and maybe starting with kind of your journey how you how you've got to where you are today yeah so gw active is our agency and within that agency we have different brands and the majority of those brands currently are event brands we have a clothing brand as you can see probably in the background a lot of the clothing items we have um, and the running brands, we have run through events, uh, Hampton Palace Half Marathon, lots of events around the country. And we started that in 2013, myself and my business partner, Ben Green. We were friends at university and we both ran at international level when we were younger kids. And we kind of, after university, Ben was working at Unilever uh, as a chartered accountant. He was uh, quite high up in the savory snacks division there. And I was running my own business marketing um, and SEO, that sort of things with pharmaceutical clients and with a background in events as well. Started various little ventures on my by myself over the years before we got to run through events in 2013. A few of those are sports massage. I've done uh, nightclubs, all sorts of things. So um, it was it was uh, kind of a time where we were both looking for something that we wanted to do in terms of that align with our passion and our passion is running um, and fitness in general, to be honest with you. And we came at a good time, 2013, we, we met up and we went for a, a pint together, had a chat about doing a running event. And Ben was saying to me, uh, well, look at all these venues we could do. And I was like, okay, get me a, get me a venue and I'll sell it out. And uh, he got the venue and we sold it out. And then the business started from that point onwards. Uh, but, but we kind of didn't have that working connection, but we were already friends and we had kind of opposing skill sets, which kind of helped us grow from the point we are now, which the first year was... I think it was eight or nine events and uh in 2019 before covid hit we had a hundred and it was 150 60 events i think it was and in 2020 we had booked in 185 events so it's it's a substantial amount and it's involved growing a team from just ben and myself to a team of 20 full-time staff hundreds of part-time staff around the country and um, so i think that part is relevant to this podcast and uh, growing that team from where we were at that point and the kind of little things that went on from there to this point is is something that I think might be of interest. That is out. That is outstanding. And there's already there's there's a bunch of stuff in that. And uh, Sean, I could I could I could see the the the, the glistening <laughs> of your eyes as you were listening. Um, I yeah, the, the grow, growing a team from two people, kind of meeting up and hanging out and 
kind of connecting on the smallest set of values or principles and kind of building those out to 20 people. So keen to hear about that. But also just this idea of this idea of that first moment. I'd I'd love to hear a little bit more about how you recognized with Ben that you might work well together or that there might be something that you want to make as a as a pair rather than rather than doing the work that you were doing on your own. Yeah, so that that first moment obviously we were both working in our respective kind of I was working to have my own business and Ben was working at quite a high level in a in a multinational corporation. So Ben wanted to get out of the corporate life and I wanted to keep growing businesses and starting things up and trying new things out. So it came at a good time for both of us in that in that regard, but in terms of our skill sets, like I'd known Ben since I was 15, 16, we used to race against each other. He was a year above me at school. So he was always beating me on the track at the younger ages and stuff. And I was reasonably, <laughs> I was very good as a, as a kid. And he was also very good in his age group. So we had a bit of a, a battle that way. And through university, we stayed friends and we actually went to America together. I went to Camp America after university and he said, I'll come out and travel with you afterwards. So we did that together. So we had a good bond from that. And then we went into these different businesses and uh, different working lives and I always knew Ben was different to me personality wise and Ben knew the same and we had kind of opposing skill sets. Ben was very good financially. I was very good with uh, from people side of things and and we obviously had skills under that as well. Um, mine was in the marketing side of things. Ben's was in the finance strategy, business side of things and Ben was also very entrepreneurial as well. He was like buying and selling wallets online when he was a kid at university. <laughs> he, he, he bought his flat at university buying and selling wallets. So he's always been an entrepreneurial person as well as a corporate kind of mindset as well. And I've always done stuff on myself by myself. So uh, coming together with someone with uh, a substantial skill set was, was great. But the main thing was working with a friend that you trusted. Awesome. Absolutely awesome. Um, I, I was really glad that Mark asked that question, actually, that kind of first moment, because I do think it is really important. And me and Mark have our first moment of starting this podcast, which is very humble podcast and it isn't, isn't what, what you guys have got going on. But it's that same kind of spark um, and realizing that you guys align and, and can make stuff work. And we, we have different skill sets as well. Um, as I say to lots of guests, Mark will be editing all of this podcast and I'll have nothing to do with that because you know me, me being able to click a link is quite uh is quite an achievement um so from a technical point of view but um no I really love that point I just Mark also touched on kind of having those kind of core values uh kind of similarly but when you wanted to grow the the business and and, and grow run through in the agency did you sit down and really have those discussions as to what does a an employee or even a part-time member of staff what do they look like uh, for run through? Yeah, so because when you're a startup and you guys will know this because you start your podcast together and it's 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 you two talk about everything. So you've got all the little nitty gritty details that now we don't deal with. But at one point in time, it was it consumed us. So that first three years of the business, 2013, 2016, like we were both working in those full-time roles, had responsibilities outside of the business we were creating and had no staff to do it. So Ben was getting home at say six o'clock at night and we were both talking and, and chatting online uh, until sometimes 11, 12 o'clock at night and then doing work until one, two, and then back to work the next day and then planning and building the company. So it, it was intense at the time. And up until that first employee, it was all in between us both. And it was enjoyable. Like looking back now, I, I loved it. And some of the stuff we were doing then at the time, I thought this is, this is difficult. But at no point in time was I thinking, I'm not enjoying this process. 
It's amazing, isn't it? That in the, in those early days, you either have to really capitalize on the skills that you have or just get used to and get good at learning new stuff. Uh, like all of a sudden you have to be a bookkeeper, a graphic designer, uh, a stamp licker, uh, you know, cause if it's not you, it's not someone else. What I'm interested to know, because I think that where you've started as a, as a unit and you kind of have shared that process, that being everything, what was the first thing you gave up to an employee in terms of what I want to be spending my time doing, or in terms of what we have expertise in, what was the first thing you said, oh no, this can be someone else? Because that, that first outsider, I think must be, must be quite a challenging process to, to actually give up on the, you know, the thing that you've been doing and feel extremely proud of, or at least have grafted for, uh, to, even if you have to learn it, what was, what was the first employee? Yeah. So that first moment was we kind of, when Ben and I decided that we were going to go all in on this in 2016, I think it was 2015 or 2016. So Ben quit his job and that was a big moment to take like the income he was getting from his, his high pay role to then put it all into this. When that happened and we both doubled down focused on it, because at that point in time, I was thinking he's half in here. And I was half in because I was thinking I've got to make sure my businesses are keep on going. But when he made that decision to kind of go all in, it escalates so quickly that our first employee came quickly as well. So it, it was has just to that- sink or swim. It's chucking the kid in the swimming pool and, and, and they have to float. Or don't. don't do that, people. Please don't do that. <laughs> it was definitely one of those moments. And it, for us, it was the, the sheer volume of the communication side of things. So in terms of like customers emailing, and conversations around the different events we were having when we're like you said we were literally licking the stamps to, to put on the envelopes to send in the post to the people we were yeah. we were doing all the social media all the sales all the finances all the event planning the event plans uh, staffing all this stuff was done between the two of us and admittedly yes it wasn't the 185 events now it was 30 events but still it's a substantial amount of time yeah. and it's every weekend more or less so yeah that first person that came in it was someone we trusted and um someone we liked a lot. So her name was Sophie and she worked with us for, I think it was three years in the end. And it was fantastic. And we had to trust that person coming in because yeah. that is a massive thing to let go of in terms of chatting to the customers on a scale like that. And that's still, that was my side of things. I was talking to the customers on the emails, but the conversations I was having were more on a base of um, what times the event start or yeah. how do I get to this venue rather than the deep impact of chatting to the people about the reasons why they were coming to that event. And, yeah having her freed me up to do that stuff, which was great. And it must be, it must be a challenge, a challenge of trust to put in the hands of someone who, yes, you, you know, you probably know them reasonably well, or you've gone through an interview process, but you have to rely that they are going to invest in that portion of the job of their role, the same amount of importance that you have given to this thing. And, you know, you will have given a heightened level of importance. It has been, you know, it's the, it's high stakes for you. It must, it must have been a challenge to try and expect or trust that those stakes are going to be uh, represented by that first employee. Yeah, definitely. And Once you've got that though, did it, did it grow? Did it, was it, was it rapid? Yeah. So like you said, then it is hard to get someone to care as much about your thing as, as you do. And I'm sure there's something that you guys will experience as well. It's like, you can care a hundred percent. And if you can get someone to care at least 80% or 70% of what you care, that's fantastic. And mm. even if they care 50%, it's still, still decent. 
So, but, but Sophie was someone who was a friend. She came to our running club. She was coming to our events. So she was part of the community and we brought her in at that point in time. And yeah, we did trust her. And when we did bring her in, yeah, it did help grow the business massively because we realized we can trust people to a certain extent to do the jobs that we thought no one else can do but us. But it's not true. <laughs> it's a real, that is a real mindset thing though. It's, yeah. and, and absolutely, I've worked in a bunch of small businesses where the holding of knowledge is the biggest kind of drawback to growth. It's the biggest limitation is me not wanting to, even within a company, put stuff that I pride myself on knowing out into the domain of, of the staff. Because yeah, you, you become without the someone else knowing it, you can't grow. Exactly, yeah. You become the thing that is stopping the company from growing. And yeah. like, there's a book I read, um, it was recommended by Steve Jobs. It's called The Goal, it was called. It was an audio book. It's a really interesting book. And it's like 10 hours long about some guy talking about his work. And it, it's really interesting, but... He gave the analogy that there was a, a big machine, and if you were the person that was um, becoming the the screwdriver that got in the wheel, you'd stop it. So like yeah. you need you need to just let the wheel go and don't be that person that's it's all filtering through basically. Those those cogs those cogs are very important, aren't they? Yeah, they must move smoothly. Yeah, <laughs> it's like like good running technique, Matt. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> um, I was I was gonna say I think um, uh, you know Gary V, um, who is an interesting character. Um, people love him, people hate him, uh, but he was saying, you know, I'm never gonna expect an employee to care as much as I do about my business because it's mine, it's not theirs. And I think once you understand that, as long as you've built a culture around them giving some care to it, then I think you're on the right track. And like you said, you know, it's not going to be 100% if it can be 40, 50, 60, amazing. Um, and clearly that's happening because, you know, you've continued to grow since uh, back in 2013. I want to bring us back to that kind of team element um, and just ask you, Matt, what makes a great team? Like what, do, what does a great team look like to you and, and what have you experienced? Maybe good and bad. So like at this point in time, I'm not the expert in this. There's so many people who have, I, at this point in time, I feel like an amateur in this situation. Even though I treat myself like a professional, I, I do feel like an amateur. I'm trying to grow a team the best way I can. And anything I say, I, I say it's not the finished product. But in my opinion, having that friendship between the different people and we do in our team, we all know each other. People have been hired because they knew someone else. And rather than hiring for the, the skills that they have in this CV, we're hiring for the, the people they are and the people that they can become. And we kind of hopefully find those people and find what they enjoy and bring that out of them. And I think because we're doing that, we're actually getting people to do what they enjoy in their job day to day. And I think that's one of the best things about a team. So the analogy, I don't know how to relate to football or something, but if you're trying to play a left back in centre midfield, like it doesn't work. You got to play the left back at left back. And I think that's what we're trying to do. And it's difficult to do that when you hire someone off a CV for a role because they might come in needing a job, but they might, when they get there, have other ambitions and other things they want to do in their life. And you have to try and fulfill that. And we're still growing and we're still learning. And it is the hardest part of a business to do that. Um, but yeah, I think the most important part is the friendship between the people that work together. So would you say your kind of recruitment process is not hugely traditional? in that sense of, you know, sending your CV and we'll sit down the th three people in th front of us or you and uh, Ben sit down and it's, it's kind of corporate or is it that kind of word of mouth, friend of a friend, they've turned up to an event, you know, we've known them for a while and, and maybe we almost go to them. How, 
How does that look? At this point in time, it has been, but we have gone through the process of hiring the more traditional method as well. And we're still trying out both things at this point in time. And you can get some fantastic applicants that apply through the normal processes. But the point we got to, and say the first 12, 13 employees have all been through, full-time employees have been through Friends of Friends. So when you're doing events, they're often in locations where you'll know one or two people and they'll perform well on the day of the event. And they'll have three or four friends they might want to bring the next time. And it's all, it's all extra money for people on weekends when they're not going out or whatever. And so it grows quite well that way. Whereas if it was a kind of traditional, say like a creative agency or a marketing agency, which I've, I've done in the past, hiring in that environment is a lot more on your skills. You're hiring on, they can do Photoshop at a world-class level. They can edit a video on Final Cut and Premiere Pro in a really, really fantastic way. That's why they get employed. So the personality element isn't as important. So we're kind of fortunate and we're kind of more similar to, I'd say, um, like you say with the teaching side of things, it's more similar to like a school and you want to bring in people who are, have the basic skills to do the job, but it's it's inspiring the people around you and the kids to do that stuff. So, yeah. I think, I just think that all companies just need to have a run club and, uh, you know, the interview process has come for a run with us. <laughs> That'd be fantastic. Are they, are they a good lad or lass? Yes. Do they have some skills? Yes. Crack on. <laughs> yeah. I think with the bigger companies as well, you often find, and it's something that if, if you're part, you're the person hiring and you're not the founder, you want to hire and work with people that you like and get on with. So in these big corporations, that's what they'll do. And that's why certain things become elite companies and they have different kind of people from certain schools going to those places. Whereas we're kind of hiring on feeling in terms of friends of people that have, have come towards run through because of whatever reason, whether that's a conversation I had with someone five years ago that met this person or a conversation that Ben had with someone. And it's, it's that way. It's more osmosis than it is kind of like methodical. Yeah, it's it's interesting because it reminds me of the conversation we had with an educational recruiter uh, a little while ago where they were talking about this tendency that people have to effectively hire themselves and and that creating this kind of weird whirlpool of of uh well of not being interesting and not being diverse and not not kind of fueling creativity and innovation and uh kind of challenge uh and i think there's something about the the nature of the business the, of these of these run clubs and the nature of your relationship with ben being at its heart a little bit competitive or a little bit in competition with one another that that means you're not you, you're not worried about hiring someone who might challenge you. You're hiring someone because they might challenge you. Yeah. And that's something, again, when you're the founder of a business and you have it done a certain way from the start, it's difficult to kind of get out of that and bring someone in that's better than you at something. Yes. And it's very hard to think if this person comes in, they're better than me. Then what's my, what's my point here? And it's about finding <laughs> your reason to be there. Yeah. And I'm going through that stage currently where the staff that we're bringing in are better than me at event organizing. Yeah. So why not let them do their job? So it, it's very difficult. Because at this point in time, I've done so many events. I am a very good event organizer. And Benny's a very, very good event organizer. We have lots of experience. But people coming in, that's their passion. That's what they want to do yeah. for a career. Like Whereas my passion isn't the event organizing. It's building something where people get yeah. active together. So 
it's the vision and the mission and exactly. being being the driver and the the torch carrier of that to make it feel sporty and olympic definitely yeah no you and um, but you've also got to be prepared to go back into the trenches again to fill the gaps in because at this point in time we're not a massive corporation and yeah. we're, we're still thinking about the, the the bottom line and that's so important you can't just hire people willy-nilly and not have the output from it and not get the income from it so until you're at a point where, and I suppose at any point in time in a business, you've got to have your eyes on the on the on the finances to make sure that never happens, and have a touching point, and be able to go back into the trenches and pack the envelopes and and pick the rubbish up and do the stuff that you do at an event and the bits behind the scenes. Self is is that part of your leadership style, though, Matt? Because you do feel to me as someone who is on the ground. Like you are at the events and, you know, you, you do pop up in the photos and you will comment on on different events and, and things like that. And you do seem to have a really close connection with the community that you've built with with run through. And so I just wonder, is that just something that's built in you as, as, as your leadership style? Because maybe other people would feel, no, I need to move further and further away from the actual kind of trenches, so to speak. Yeah, I, and I do feel like it's my leadership style in a way, but I'm having to force myself not to be at events so that other people can have that time to to do uh, what they're meant to do. And my hardest thing for me is to take that step back and I can't be at an event and not be fully all in. I've got to be hidden away somewhere, like in another location for me not to have an impact on that event in my mind. So yeah, yeah. it maybe is that kind of leadership style where I'm doing that. But my business partner, Ben, is a different approach but we both can do the same things on the days of the events as well. I might, I might be wrong and I don't want to speak for Mark here, but we have worked together for a couple of years now, but I do feel like we both do have the personality that if we have put a thing on, we do want to be visible and present within that event. So that speaks very true to me yeah, in terms of absolutely. what you're saying there. Um, we're not the type to kind of have the event on and then go and scurry away no. easily. <laughs> I don't, I don't want to clipboards and stand there and look at people. It's not me. I'd rather be helping out and doing things. And that is the hardest thing for me to be honest with you. Yeah. It's, I remember being on film sets and I never understood the producer who sat in the chair watching. That felt like a weird, a weird spot. Like I wanted to be the, the person running over to the art department and, you know, painting something up or running over to the actors and having a chat about how it's supposed to go. Uh, I don't know if just sitting and watching it all unfold is particularly satisfying. Um, in I wanted to talk a little bit, and I know that Sean did, about kind of running generally and these, these, these running events that you're putting on and the identity that you've created around these run groups. Um, what, was, what was your aim for them in, from, from the outset? So the, the aim, I suppose, was to get people to come together that like the same thing and meet each other, get on. And the best thing about running is you can turn up at an event and you might win the race or you might come halfway down or you might be the person who's coming in at, at the back. You can still chat to people at those events. You can still make friends. We're all people just run at different speeds. And the difference between that and, say, a football team or a... Um, rugby team or whatever you get there and everyone in that team has to be of a certain similar level or else that team won't improve whereas at running events you come together everyone's got their own kind of pace and you can chat to the, the winner of the race and be a normal conversation and go for a, a coffee afterwards with them and that's what I wanted to kind of highlight and at the time when we were doing it it was just literally these elite races 
there was these elite races where you saw on TV, it was fantastic. And then the masses behind them, like your London marathons, Great North runs, those kind of big events in city centres. And then there was also a park run, which was a free 5K race, which wasn't officially tipped out. You didn't get any medals. There was, there was nothing like that. So when we created Run Through, it was at the point in time where there was a gap in the market for, for something like what we were creating. Off the back of it, there's been other companies that have started doing similar kind of things to us. But at that point in time, it was, um, it was brand new, but we wanted to bring people together that were from different backgrounds in different locations that got on with each other. And the online community helped that, bringing them together, making a live event and bringing it online. And that was the kind of interlinking part. That was awesome. And I'm kind of in a stage now, especially as we've been in these lockdowns over the past year of kind of identifying how important connection and community is. And I think this is where, you know, organizations like Run Through are coming to the fore because although obviously you've not been able to to run physical events, the it seems to me anyway, as someone who is just following along with, you know, the rest of your followers, that there has been that connection and it has remained and it is really strong. Um, and maybe you've even grown in certain areas with the agency or with the, uh, the clothing brand and things like that throughout this period. And on a really sort of micro scale, I've tried to create a small kind of fitness community and, and things like that with some of my colleagues and friends. And, and I want to try and build that myself, Matt, which is why I find the stuff you're doing just amazing to the level that you've taken it to. But, um, not even from a business point of view, but just literally a group of people who enjoy something, doing it together regularly and getting something out of it from a health benefit uh, is just awesome. So is that something that you were really trying to create? Yeah, like I suppose when you, when you organize, again, we've come from a, a background where we were running internationally. We knew a lot of people within the running community. And for us, putting on a running event wasn't something that was so far-fetched to us. We knew exactly what to do. The intricacies of running a, a running event, like the little details that you don't notice till you put on an event itself, which which you'll notice as well. Like it, it's not, it's not obvious, even if you've got so much experience in running, like physically yourself. the The aim was to create a community of people that love something together. But again, you'll you'll notice with the community that you're growing in in what you're doing, that the people come together because like they do have something in common. They do have something they want to meet up and chat about. And if you don't have that core thing, then it kind of all falls away. And if the core thing is keeping fit and making sure you're healthy, that's, that's brilliant as well. So you can create a community around any subject and even like train spotting or anything. Like it can be one thing that brings people together and you can meet up and go to locations and have those friendships. And it is massive, important thing, especially during this time now, we all feel a bit kind of cut off from the world. Um, but even when the world's at full flow, like it, it'll show it even more. And what kind of stuff are you doing to, uh, if anything at all, to kind of shepherd that, to, to, keep those, to keep those communities on track or to keep those communities on topic? And I'm, I'm basically subtweeting Sean here. Uh, like sometimes you have a, a community that's come together for one thing and they get, you know, they, they start talking about, oh, I'm off having a baby and I want to talk about that all the time. And... And about whether or not you have to keep it, keep it to what we were here for and whether you do anything to steer that or to let that kind of go free. Yeah, that's a difficult part of it because you've got lots of different people from lots of different backgrounds with lots of different political and religious opinions. So when you put them into a pot and there's nothing to talk about in terms of the thing that you're doing, which was running at the start, 
then conversations tend to go a bit wild and keeping that moderated within a, within a group is often difficult. But I think by reinforcing and coming back to the core thing as much as possible, because that's what they're there for in the first place. They're not there for anything else apart from the running or in our case, the running. But in your case, it could be, it could be the, the fitness or the goals that you have around uh, that and, and bringing the conversation back to that and reinforcing it by posting relevant content all the time about stuff like that. Like if you're not talking about the subject that people are there for, then why would they want to follow that particular brand or uh, group or like what are they there for? So if if the topic is running, double down on the running, talk about running, reinforce yeah. people who who did a run and say that was that was great you did a run and talk about that because for me I find that really interesting. Some people might find that boring, but I love running, so I don't have I can chat to someone for an hour about a little five k run around a trail area because. That's, that's cool to me. I like that. And there's no shame in leaving the room. If you're, if this isn't what you're in, on about, like go somewhere else without any judgment. <laughs> like I was saying, there's lots of different communities that offer different things. You can find that. That's the best thing about being online. You can find these places and you'll be able to find another group that has a conversation about other things. And yeah, it is hard to steer people back to the core thing. But if that's your intention and you put the work behind it, you'll get back to it. Do you think, Matt, it might be different difficult for you because obviously you have grown such a community but I do feel as though people can be scared to take the first step towards the community to begin with so to show up to uh, a run through group run um, you know community run or to do an event uh, or anything else that their interest may be like you said train spotting you know bird watching whatever it may be um, that gets you going Um you know, to take that first step, there does seem to be sometimes a bit of a mental block because it's going to be new people. It's going to be a new environment. What kind of advice would you give to those people? Um, because I'm sure that it is the case. I think if you're, if you're a person that's a bit worried about going to an event, ask questions. And the group that we, we set up was for people to answer each other's questions and feel like there is other people that they're going to meet at these events that are normal, that are kind of good to chat to. But then on the, on the flip side, you've got um, the communications from the actual company, that's, company itself. So with our communications team, we, we, are, we are so focused on making sure people get answers to all their questions mm. as quickly as possible. And doubling down on the communication side of things for the company is really important. So uh, having the infrastructure in place and the staff in place to be able to reply to those comments and questions as quickly as possible is a good reflection on the company itself. If you email an event company, they don't reply to you for a week and it's a really weak reply. Are they really the kind of event you want to go to? Do you want to be part of that? Like, I don't know. So we kind of reinforce the fact that we want to double down on the yeah. community, on the people at the events themselves. And it's and for those people that Sean is talking about, the ones that, that are, you know, hesitant to take the first step, having that question answered quickly validates the asking of the question. It lets them know it's okay to ask that question. Uh, oh, by the way, you're now part of the community because people who ask questions like that are who we talk to. Yeah, definitely. And I think that the, the our social media and things we put out kind of reinforce that in a way. But it's the it's the communication between a human being and a human being behind the scenes that is so important. And if you don't really care about it, then it's not going to be the community you want it to be. And it is sometimes stressful to reply to a lot of people at a certain time when you want to have your tea and you've got back, it's been a tiring day and it is kind of stressful and I'm not perfect. And then I don't reply to things personally on my page quickly enough sometimes. And 
it, it's, it's difficult to be able to find that balance in your life. But if you really do care about what you're doing, you will get back to that person. You will take that time out. I, I think what I've liked about what you said in terms of the content that you are putting out there as well, Matt, is, and I'm just talking as a consumer, you know, someone who's just, you know, following you, um, is that it does seem quite authentic. And I feel as though if we look at the kind of fitness industry, um, you know, it can look really false. And what you put on your social media is like the perfect version of yeah, that. That influencer vibe. That influencer vibe, exactly. And so the only photos they like or the only people they reply back to are the ones who are in great shape or who have really fast run times or have a small, you know, brand ambassador kind of relationship, you, you know, a, apart from, you know, Jane, who's 54 and has gone out on a 3K, who might not be in the best gear, who, you know, might need a new pair of trainers. Like she, she could yeah. still potentially get the like or she could get the response back from run through. And I think that's been really, really important. And the reason why... I've continued to follow you and can kind of continue to support what you guys are about is because of that. Is that a conscious decision? I think it's kind of generally my personality anyway. Like I do tend to, I, I don't know what it is. Maybe my mom or dad were that way. And I've just, the way I am as a person, I do generally care about other people in, in a way that like when I have a conversation with someone, I'm having a conversation with a human being. I want to know about that person, regardless of who they are or what status they are. And when we were starting this, and you know this from the start of your business, like maybe today you're talking to me, but in a year's time, you're talking to Richard Branson. And, and that Richard Branson conversation will mean so much more to you because it, it, it'll level up your business to a certain point. But if you didn't do the conversation with Matt Wood from Run Through a year ago, you wouldn't have got to that point because no one like, it's not necessarily a conversation with me that got you there. It was the caring about uh, something that you cared about as well and trying to get that relationship with someone or anyone within that community. And I think with the runners that come to our events, anyone can go for a run. And there's no reason why you shouldn't celebrate that as much as you should celebrate Kipchoge running the fastest marathon time in the world. Like they're equal. Like we're all just people doing something in our lives and celebrating that. And hopefully that comes across because I think that's important. Um, on that, who's faster, you or Ben? On PB's Ben over there. Every distance actually now. Yeah, when we were kids. <laughs> When we were kids, because uh, I, I, he got unlucky with his age group category, he had someone who was really fantastic at running and, and I, di I didn't have that person. So I was that person. I won all the medals, all the titles at young ages and Ben didn't have the opportunity, but he's definitely faster than me at all levels. Chip, on, chip on his shoulder. Yeah. <laughs> I, I ask because, because uh, Sean, and the more you talk about how you're approaching uh, kind of building a community of like-minded uh, athletes, um, the more I'm recognizing it in the work that Sean is trying to do with, you know, when you say everyone can run, I would, I would have disagreed with you <laughs> as little as a month ago. And Sean and I went for our first together run, like side by side run, uh, last week, incidentally, having had socially distanced, kind of socially distanced, we have to get on, that the, on the sides of the road. Um, <laughs> Although I'm annoyed because the running app we used says you ran five and a half K and I ran five K. So I don't know what happened. Um, I think I've got a dodgy forth. Strava. <laughs> he, I was, really I was taking the, the racing line. I was in sharp corners. <laughs> but that sense of even micro uh, engagement and micro enthusiasm 
as for me, who was a complete non-runner, was an absolute game changer where it doesn't take the slightly social media-y, it's, you know, you've got, you've got to smash your, your personal bests every time. It just, it just takes a, oh, you did that, well done, to, to make it feel possible first. Yeah, I think also if you look at it from a strategic point of view and you look at it, if you were a big business and you thought we need to have conversations with every single runner because um, of these reasons to sell something, it mm. doesn't work like that. You need to really give one about the people that you're talking to. And like at this point in time, it's hopefully hiring people that care about the people that they're talking to. And if they don't have that, then they're not in the right role. And I don't think you can look at it from a strategic point of view. And because people can tell, people can tell when you yeah. don't care or do care. And if, like you say, if you're tagging or liking certain people because you know that's going to help your marketing, that's a different strategy. And that's fine. Like you can bring that in as part of the strategy. But caring comes first. You need to actually go out there and like that person who goes for that first run. Because if you don't, if you don't like that, it will show in the long term. It will. Yeah. I think about, and, and Sean will probably agree. Uh, I think about bringing that back to our context of education and the, if, if you're not interested in whether or not kids learn, if you That's don't exactly like it. young people, like, yes, you could probably go through the motions of making a very good A-level course, but why would you? <laughs> Yeah, like you remember the best teachers at school. They were the ones you had those conversations with on the side that weren't necessarily about the subject topic. Yeah, they, Mr. Pomfret physics. There you go. All those people you remember, the ones that gave like um, a hoot about you. I'm not sure if you can swear, but uh, who cared about you. <laughs> I, I do. They, I, I usually do, so go for it, Matt. <laughs> no, okay, yeah. Well, you, you, people who give a shit about you, basically. That, that's, that's the people you need to, you need to uh, emulate and be like. And, and they, they're the best teachers. They're the best coaches. They're the best of everything. The ones that think about you and care about you. Let, let's and be that's honest. Not, the, it's the, not a magic the, trick either, is it? Like it's not. It's not. It's not a massive leap of of humanity or skill to give a crap yeah. about people. No, it's not. But it's some people doesn't come very naturally, and or they might not be able to convey that in a way which is accepted by the person receiving it in the most natural way. So if someone's not naturally like that, they might avoid those kind of scenarios and double down on the thing they actually are good at, which is the subject topic and have a kind of a different platform. So understanding that everyone's different, understanding that everyone has their own skills and strengths, even me talking to a certain person at a running event, they don't want to, sometimes they don't want to talk to me or have that conversation. They want to go there, do a run, fast as they can, then go home. And sometimes I've found, I've had conversations with people and I've been like, well, they didn't want that and that's cool. And I've learned from that situation but it doesn't mean I won't approach the next person and speak to them about it because they might want that. So everyone has to have their own boundaries. And that's my, uh, that's my brother who doesn't host a podcast and wants to go for his run and be left alone. <laughs> Who's not, not on Strava, not getting the kudos, not doing that's any fine. Of it. That is fine. And it's, yeah. it's not for me, Matt. It's not in our relationship. It's not, I want him to be doing what I'm doing. Um, but, uh, but he's also a keen runner and he's pretty, he's pretty good as well. So, um, obviously we've spoken a lot, uh, about teams, about community, culture, values, uh, and some entrepreneurial stuff in there as well, Matt, which, um, we don't always get the opportunity to do because a lot no, of people lovely. we speak to haven't, you know, built their company from scratch. They work within, within one. Um, I just wanted to know some major takeaways that 
you can kind of give our listeners and our audience to to maybe add into their team or uh, their leadership skills or style um, from what you've learned? So like I think you mentioned before about um, other cultures that I've learned off and, and things that I can uh, and take from that. And I've had lots of, I suppose, accidental mentors along the way in my life in my my dad, my um who was inspiration growing up and I, I watched him, how he acted with people. He was always a chairman of a board or he was always doing a speech somewhere. So I was looking at him as a kid and I was very, very, I, obviously until now, you don't look back and go, oh, that's obviously had an impact on me. But then when I made my entrepreneurial moves, I met people on the way that kind of facilitated that. Um, Nick and TJ, two of my friends from Australia who kind of taught me there was another way to live from that perspective. And I've always been like, an, since... I finished university, which is ironic. I've been an avid reader of books around topics that I want to learn about and coaching is part of that. And I mentioned on a podcast a, a few weeks ago that at every point in my life, the book that I've read has, has found me. So when I was starting the business, it was startup related books. When I was creating the team, it was kind of structural things around businesses. And now I'm reading books about leadership and that sort of thing. And I'm, like some of the podcasts, like the Jake Humphrey podcast, the high performance one, I found a lot of those really interesting. And you mentioned Gary Vaynerchuk before as well. And he's been someone that I've listened to a lot over the years and someone that I've kind of, his book Crushing It, I think it was the first book to read um, when I was starting at Run Through and it came at a good time. It was actually the audio book actually. And he actually read it through and things like that along the way inspired me to do something. And, and you can only really take information from the things that come across you but what I've tried to do is try to reach out and research books of people that I found interested in. Went through a spell of reading every single autobiography of every business leader in the UK, like Branson and all the people on Dragon's Den. And I read every single book about every single person <laughs> because I wanted to see how they thought because I think a certain way and other people think, think differently and they're more successful than me. So why can't I take something from them? So I've always been in a mentality where I'm always being coached. I don't think that I'm, I know everything. I think that. I'm always in a state of kind of, um, kind of at the point in learning, time where I don't, you say? yeah, a state of learning. Like if someone tells me something, I'm going to listen to it and try and apply it to my life. So I'm not at the point in time where I know everything that's wrong. This is my method. I don't have a method. I'm learning things as I go along. I'm implementing them and I'm adding them on bit by bit over a period of time. And hopefully in 20 years time, I'll be happy with what I created. But at this point in time, and over the last 10 years, it's all been about constant learning and developing, trying, testing, failing, repeat. Well, you're a quick learner, Matt, I think. <laughs> Clearly. I think it's because I'm doing a lot of things at once. So at the point in time where I think some, my mind works very quickly and I'm going through the process of trying, implementing, failing very, very quickly in my mind and trying to do it in, 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 in practice as well. So I think I'm lucky in that sense where I've been had an opportunity where I've been kind of free to do that with the businesses I've created, which my time is free, which means I can put money into trying, testing, failing and repeating. Uh, but again, I, I'm not the finished product of what I want to be in 20 years time. I'm just learning. Yeah, awesome. it's like ch changing the tire on a moving car. Like <laughs> you're going to find a way to do it because otherwise the car crashes. <laughs> yeah, there's things like that. There's some things that you can't change the outcome of. There's some things that you can't, have an effect on. But I do think that if you give it some thought and you, you do want to learn, you can always have some sort of impact on it. And also just the, what you were talking about there in terms of iterating your practice or iterating from lessons learned, like you have to 
be prepared to try something. And that's, that's a skill that, that, that takes a little bit of time to learn, particularly I think if it's your own business where things feel or that, that stage where other people's um, livelihoods is you're, you're now responsible for, which is, which is from, from my experience watching it from the outside, one of the biggest shifts for business entrepreneurs is when like, I can deal with grafting 23 hours a day. I can deal with eating baked beans the minute I have to pay someone 25 grand a year or they don't get to eat baked beans, that's, that's <laughs> when, that's when I will either learn fast or be crippled by it. And that's the point where trying stuff out sometimes stops happening uh, yeah. because you're so worried that, that it's going, it's going to have some kind of a terminal or a critical impact. Definitely. Yeah. I, I do feel like that, that pressure you get, of doing that actually motivates me. The more, the more people that I can have that responsibility for, I think the better, because the more responsible I will feel, the harder I will work, the more I will care about developing. And yeah. I've always wanted it for myself, but when you've got other people, you've got to think about, and even if it's your partner or your kids, or that, that, that makes it so much more important. And I'm not, 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 I'm not that point in time where I have that responsibility, but I'm not far off it. And yeah. having the staff, I imagine is a very similar thing to having, a kid and having that responsibility of thinking I've got to double down on myself because I need to pay for them for their future for their their ambitions for their future and yeah that's there a are good things thing. that are going to stop happening if I don't if I don't keep going and exactly. they're important things yeah you know, they're not they're not oh we missed the podcast deadline they are rent yeah but the, but the thing is that that's important as well like you said Mr. Podcast Deadline that is important like you, you shouldn't be you shouldn't be missing that sort of stuff you should be hitting everything you, you or trying your best to do that in that way, because then that means you have more time to put more out and meet more people and learn more and develop this into something that you want it to be. So yeah, you heard, you heard it here first. We've got one year to get Branson on the podcast or else we're laying that down. <laughs> Definitely. Absolutely. I think, I think it's really important. Um, what both of you have just said there with regards to kind of not being scared to learn and putting yourself out there and trying new things. And I think the stage that I'm at personally is I'm starting to move into a situation where I'm not scared to fail at something that maybe I'm not amazing at, but I'm doing it at such a small level and I'm doing it where it's free things, you know, and that's where it's Mark makes a really good point on the stage where you are at, which is different because, you know, it does become a financial thing uh, and something that needs to obviously be a big part of your day to day, I imagine. Um, so, so yeah, I think for our listeners, do, do give something a try, even if you don't think that you're going to smash it straight away um, because it only gets more stressful, right? If you actually have money involved. <laughs> so you yeah, might as true, well practice yeah. for free. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I do think, and also those thoughts that you have about something, building something for free and, and maybe the anxieties you get before you do it, like that post yeah. you make or the way you say something on the podcast in a way that you think that doesn't sound quite right. Or my voice sounds weird here. Like I have those anxieties too. I think about that before my post that I put up and have I worded that right? Or how will someone read that? I think about these things and a lot of people do, but like you guys said, like Mark said, it's being crippled by it. And if that's the thing that cripples you by being too anxious about the way you come across to other people and it's going to slow you down. So I, I'm at a battle with that myself as well as being okay with me to then push forward with the collective. 
And it is something that you've got to come back to and think about. It is. And I, and I think that there is, there's, there is stuff that I work with as a performance teacher where, and it sounds, it sounds like I'm talking about low standards, but there is this idea that we just need to privilege completion over perfection that I just need for this thing to exist in the knowledge that I'll have another opportunity. I'll be able to refine it. Like the thing, if this is something I'm, I want to do, I'll, I'm going to do it every week from now until, you know, I retire that this won't be the only time. So that principle of like first and worst, like do it, let it be the worst it will ever be. It probably won't be bad, but it will be the worst it'll ever be. And the next time make it a little bit better. Uh, Definitely, yeah. But getting that crappy one out first, you know, muckying up the blank page, such a big deal when decisions need to be made. If you want a book recommendation, and uh, I should be honest, it's quite a few books by Seth Golden and, he talks about the practice and, and doing stuff like that all the time. And he, for example, he's put a blog out on his, on his website every day for the last however many years. You don't care if some of them are bad. You don't care if some of them are good. And that's the same thing for coaches, for professionals who every day treat themselves in that manner and not caring about if one day they're not firing on all cylinders. Like uh, Jose Mourinho isn't thinking today I, I talked to this player badly because he knows in the long run he's going to win games, he's going to win trophies. Yeah. So it's just literally getting the output. It's better done than perfect. Keep moving. Absolutely. Absolutely. God, that- there are so many. So you will have seen at various points in this conversation, Sean and I both go and maybe start scribbling. And it's because the title of the podcast is a quote from the interview. And you've come out with like four or five moments where the, your phrasing has been so perfect. I've got, I've got timings scribbled down. Uh, as poss- as possible quotes for the uh, for the end one, and I quite like I quite like uh, get it done. <laughs> I'll come back and listen to that one. Um, so I think this is uh, the point in time, Matt, where we just ask if there is kind of anything else that you want to get out there that you want our listeners to know about. Obviously, you do have your fingers in lots of uh, pies, uh, so I think you know websites or. Uh, social media accounts where people can yep. find you where they can get in contact with Run obviously through. we'll throw links to all of the books uh that you've mentioned the seth godin the gary v uh and uh the audiobook that you mentioned at the beginning we'll chuck links the, to the those goal. in yeah, the show notes um, but if there's anything else you want to plug now's the time all right um yeah so my name is matt matt wood i'm on instagram at matt woody wood um, our event company is Run Through Events. You can find them at runthrough.co.uk. And also information about GW Active is on gwactive.com. Amazing. We'll put links to all of those. Do uh, do check it out on uh, uh, Matt's social media and do check out Run Through because like Sean was saying, the stuff that, the stuff that goes on uh, is really inspiring, particularly for people like me who didn't consider themselves uh, part of that, that running community uh, until someone kind of pushed them into the road. <laughs> Sean. Sean. God, that sounds really aggressive. I was horrible. horrible. It was done in a very friendly, empathetic way. <laughs> uh, Matt, thank you so much for coming on. This has been a blast and it's, flo- it's flown by. Um, I, I wasn't expecting quite as much um, kind of startup stuff in there. So really exciting to get some of that in because that is one team that that people 
tend to guard quite secretively the idea of, of how I, how I built my business until, until they're, you know, until they're Richard Branson and then they write their memoir. So it's really lovely to hear kind of that growth while it's happening. No, definitely. Yeah. Thank you for having me on. It's been really nice to talk to you both and good luck with everything you're doing. Thank you so much, Matt. Real pleasure. Uh, and I hope when things get back to normal uh, and Boris lets us meet up, uh, you know, in public, uh, I can jump on a, a run through event and uh, potentially even see you at one, which would be awesome. Yeah, definitely. You're most welcome. Take care. So that was Matt. You you know Matt a little bit and, and you know the run through events. Did that feel like the the kind of culture that he creates? Absolutely, yeah. So I'd done a couple of events uh, with run through and I've also used them for kind of school events as well. So, you know, staff uh, and students would be familiar with uh, some of the events that he has put on. Um, yeah, I've always enjoyed them. And, you know, he's at a lot of the events himself, which, you know, in the episode, we can see that he's trying to mm. maybe move himself <laughs> away from a little bit more with, with so many things going on. Um, but I don't think that would be the case with a, with a year out of no events. I think he's going to try and soak up as many events as possible in, in the, over the next couple of months, moving into summer where hopefully things have opened back up. But you can just tell from the way he speaks and the passion that he has and the energy that he has and drive. And, you know, he's tried to learn that kind of entrepreneurial nature and he's read the books and he, you know, he's teamed up with someone who has their qualities as well uh, to create what is a fantastic kind of organization, in my opinion. And I didn't think we were going to get that kind of play by play in terms of how he set up you know, the, yeah. the company. Um, but when you see him sat in that room about... surrounded by the, the, you know, the big, the big box company, plastic boxes full of merch. And yeah, when he was in his merch room, <laughs> that obviously our audience don't get the, don't get the pleasure to see, but um, yeah, when he's in his uh, stock room and you can see, wow, there's a, there's a lot of stuff that he's working on. Um, but, you know, I think he, he does place a lot of importance on how he how he treats people yeah both and customers you, i think that's and, i, I love that about it him. and and the and the users i'd like that whole thing he was talking about uh just the care with which and the enthusiasm with which he was talking about someone who's like you know hobbling along at the back of the pack in one of it one of their you know run through 10ks or whatever like it, it's about people running at the speed that they want to run at it's about people getting the the maximum amount of positivity and benefit out of it not can you be the person pushing it which like alongside this idea of him you know really pushing himself to to as an athlete and as a businessman like to be able to retain that expectation or or different set of uh, expectations or values that says like you who's just started love it you who's an elite runner love it in the same way and he's not and he's not it's not about ranking people or that slightly edgy you know crossfit pushing them to keep on doing it yeah there's a there's a couple of things in that as well so you know obviously he has you know ran at, at a very high standard and I think this across you know coaching and uh, across multiple sports and industries is like some people are very very good at a thing but they don't necessarily see the importance of 
the fact that they can pass on their knowledge and their passion for the sport right down all the way to grassroots. Mm. You know, they want to stay at that elite level and they, they sometimes struggle to work at that grassroots exactly. level. And he's managed to to still have, you know, elite runners at his events, uh, people still doing half marathons and things like that, but all the way down to, you know, a kind of, you know, fun run, 5K, and everyone's seen as just as important. And I think that's really really difficult trait to to kind of master and i think that he's definitely on his way to to doing that um and i think there's a lot more a lot more to come from him and his businesses and you know run through and on exactly that i want to throw in a massive tease for next week's interview uh we uh, i won't say who it is because it's quite exciting um but they are uh, a national champion at their sport and you know operating at a world-class level in their event, but are also uh, working at that grassroots level. So everything that you were just saying there, Sean, we really get into deep in the next, in next week's interview. So I'm massively excited for that. That's all for this week. Thank you so much for listening. Thank you for sticking around for this, our fifth series. Well done us, Sean. Yay. <laughs> Will it stay after lockdown finishes? Will we have more opportunity to do it after a fourth or a fifth or a sixth lockdown we'll have to wait and see but as you know as the product of a first and worst let's just throw out this podcast that we made uh, we're now uh, 41 episodes in and still going uh, we appreciate everyone that listens uh, and we would love for you guys to get in touch and tell us what you think tell us what you would like us to be talking about you can uh, at us on Instagram and Twitter at no i podcast and you can email sean or i sean or mark at no i podcast dot show you can also uh, throw up a review on uh, itunes or google podcasts or wherever you're listening to us on and let us know uh, what you think and let the world know what you think because uh, we want as many people as possible to listen to this all that's left, though, for now is for me to say goodbye from Sean. Goodbye, guys. And goodbye from me. Goodbye. You must be like the Wolfpack. Teamwork. Yes.